Hello and welcome to the Practical Podcast, episode 34. This week, we discuss the departure of Justin Langer from the Australian coaching role and the backlash that has come from it. Then we announce the Maori and Indigenous All-Star team lineups ahead of the All-Star game on Saturday. Following that, we recap the amazing summer of cricket or the disappointing summer of cricket for the England team and how will they bounce back from it. And finally, we look at some of the trades ahead of the NBA trade deadline, which is just less than two days away. As always, shout out to Sencho for providing that killer intro and introducing my good mate, Blaze McKee. Blaze, uh, we're doing it remotely today. I'm down in uh, Canberra for university. So some of our podcasts may be like this other times, maybe in person, but uh, it's good to see you, man. Yeah, very good to see you. Obviously, haven't seen you since you've been down in Canberra, but uh, yeah, we're getting this podcast done any way we can. That's it, man. And obviously, uh, the touch football team missed me greatly last night. Uh, but how'd you go? How'd you feel? How uh, the team played? Yeah, we lost last night, but, you know, we came up against a pretty good side. So sometimes yeah. that happens and, and we'll move on to next week. Okay, man. What have you enjoyed last week of sport? It's obviously that kind of period where you're in between the cricket and footy season. Folks, you've got the All-Star game, as I said in the introduction, coming up. Um, but what have you enjoyed the most? Yeah, as you say, the footy season's coming up and, and I actually really enjoyed the Waratahs. Had a, had a trial game on Saturday out at Parramatta, which I went out to watch. They played a few of the Shoot Shield clubs out there and, and it was good to see a bit of rugby out there and there was actually a brand new stadium uh, for the Parramatta Two Blues, which they'll be playing out this year. And it was a really good setup and, and good to see some live rugby again. Oh, sounds great, man. Well, guys, if you'd like to stay up to date on all things NRL, AFL, rugby union, cricket and NBA basketball, go and follow us on Twitter and the handle is at T underscore practice drill. Um, and Blaze, let's get straight into it. And as I said in the introduction, we're starting off talking about Justin Langer, Australian uh, cricket coach, resigning from his spot. Uh, he was offered a six-month extension to defend the T20 World Cup, which is later this year here in Australia. Um, he declined. Blaze, it's been just crazy since then. There was obviously um, his time as head coach had been a little bit roller coaster. You know, he was, uh, over, you know, taking over after a really disappointing time in Australian cricket his history after the sandpaper debacle in South Africa. Um I think he did a great job, was able to fight out for a draw in the last Ashes series in England and then to come back, win the T20 World Cup and then uh, beat England 4-0 in the Ashes. What have you made of this? He, he seemed to be doing a great job. Are you disappointed that um, the Australian uh, cricket board didn't really offer him anything more than six months? Yeah, I think that's a pretty strange offer. Obviously, they said, you know, gives him an opportunity to defend the World Cup and, and go out on a high. But probably as a coach, a six-month contract is, is a pretty, you know, limited thing. And, and, you know, obviously your writing's on the wall once you kind of agree to that. So I think, again, it's probably another shocker from, from Cricket Australia. And it's been interesting, I think, in the media, much has been made about, you know, the battle between Langer and the players. But to me, you know, Cricket Australia probably slid under the radar in, in that regard and, and probably some more thought needs to go into how they uh, handle the situation. Well, to go to the point that you just made, there was a lot 
made about Justin Langer's intense coaching style, um, for me, I think it was the right choice for when he had to come in and basically overhaul the culture that had been there of a bit of arrogance, um, a bit of, you know, I've made it and maybe just settling a little bit where, you know, in international cricket, you need to be performing at your best. Once you make um, the test squad, you need to go further from there. Um, but there was that awkward period where there was a, a group uh, meeting with Justin Langer before the T20 World Cup where, you know, it was made like, is he going to even be there for this summer for the Ashes or even the T20 World Cup, whether he was going to leave um, because there was that tension between the playing group and himself. Do you think he corrected himself during that period? And, and obviously the team had great success after that discussion. Yeah, I think, you know, as you say, there was a lot of uncertainty. And I think, obviously, the two parties probably came out of that meeting with with fairly different thoughts. I think Langer probably thought if he could, you know, relax his approach and have some success, which they went on to have a lot of success since that meeting, that, you know, he would have an opportunity to continue coaching the side. But maybe the players or Cricket Australia felt that, you know, that was kind of his little six-months warning and, and they were kind of telling him in, in a kind of soft way that we're going to let you write out the contract and then and then we'll be looking elsewhere. So, yeah, that was a really interesting period. But then, as you say, you know, they've had a lot of success since then, winning the T20 World Cup from really nowhere. You know, they really struggled yeah. prior to that tournament and, and in that format. And then they were really dominant in the Ashes. And, you know, when you've had that much success, as you said, they also drew the Ashes in England uh, under Langer. So when you've had that much success, I think Langer can probably feel a bit you know that he probably deserved a bit of a bit of extent, a longer extension than than the six months that he was offered. Definitely, I think he did a great job. I'm I'm of the mindset that it's a, a very disappointing decision by Cricket Australia, um, but I'm not the only one who's been disappointed at this. As you know, Blaze, there's been a ton of backlash, uh, many past plays, especially that kind of. Um, the, the people who were actually teammates with Justin Langham when he was playing for Australia, you know, your, your Matthew Haydens, your Ricky Pontings, your Steve Wars have come out in support of Langer. Um, one of the ones that is very interesting is Mitchell Johnson, one of my favourite cricketers of all time, labelling it as gutless and Adam Gilchrist calling it pathetic. Now, those are some big words to use against uh, Cricket Australia um, what, do, what do you think? Mitchell Johnson went on a bit of a, not even a direct rant, but just shared everyone's comments on uh, the uh, Justin Langer departure on his Instagram story. Uh, very almost passive aggressive in a way. Yeah, I think, you know, in Mitchell Johnson's case, he probably feels that there's been been a lack of transparency. And for him, I guess he felt that was probably the, the key disappointment in the situation. I think it's also interesting, you know, the battle between old players and current players is is a one that goes on in probably every sport and, and will probably continue to go on, you know, much past this uh, this incident. So it is, I guess, important to note that all these guys supporting Lang are obviously his teammates. So obviously they're going to support him. But for the most part, I would, yeah, probably have to agree with them just because... You know, as we said, Justin Lang has had so much support and, and the situation has been handled so poorly. And it seems like they've had 
all these meetings, but there's been a lack of clarity, obviously internally as well as externally. And I think Cricket Australia would definitely have to look a few of their processes around, you know, hiring and firing of, of coaches and and hopefully they can improve from this. You know, it's just, it's to me, I kind of agree with Mitchell Johnson's gutless comment, comment because I feel like the reason Justin Langer was initially selected as the head coach was because he did have that strict approach and, and the the side needed someone who was going to hold them accountable for their mistakes and start making them into not only better cricketers, but better humans as well. And to use that almost against him at the end of the day is what is truly disappointing about this situation. Um, but not only have the past players um, targeted Cricket Australia for their actions in this situation, but they've also gone uh, uh, gone after sorry Pat Cummins in the current playing group. Uh, Pat Cummins, we, we've heard this leading into before Justin Langer resigned, um, had was being criticised for avoiding the topic in interviews. What do you think that kind of leadership shows from Pat Cummins, who is only newly appointed as the captain, um, to be not really sticking up for his coach? Yeah, well, I think for one, it definitely shows there was some, you know, uh, probably some ill feeling in in the playing group towards Langer and, you know, some uncertainty towards it. I, I think it's also a little bit tough to go so hard at Cummins, you know, considering... I guess the circumstances that he's even come into the captaincy, obviously with the Tim Payne situation, and now he's being expected to, I guess, you know, front the media. And, and as we said, not many people from Cricket Australia have come out either. So he's, I guess, expected to be a spokesman for, for not only the Australian cricket team, but also the Cricket Australia on the whole. But having said that, you know, I think it was fairly obvious that these questions would kind of come and his avoidance of the questions definitely made it seem as though, you know, and makes it seem as though he's maybe one of the players leading that push against Justin Langer. So I think some of the criticism is probably warranted, whether it should all fall on Pat Cummins, you know, that's probably a bit unfair. But, uh, you know, I guess that's part of, you know, being the Australian cricket captain. Yeah, no, I don't think... The, the blame should solely be on Pat Cummins at all. It's definitely not. Um, could he have handled the situation slightly better? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I remember one of his interviews kind of saying, oh, we'll, we'll worry about that after the series. You know, you can kind of, you can say that in a better way. You go, oh, you know, really love what JL's done for us um, in the series so far. Um, we're just looking at success. And if you just say that small little thing towards him, I think that takes a lot of heat off Justin Langer. Um, but it's also gutless from Cricket Australia to kind of hide behind Pat Cummins and, and kind of force him to be a little bit of the target um, of this situation. But uh, looking messy, so it'll be interesting to see who steps up and takes that coaching role. Um, Andrew McDonald will take um, the side to Pakistan for that historic tour. Um, so I guess he's kind of the leading candidate after being, you know, assistant coach for a while. Uh, but we'll move on to our second topic, which is the NRL All-Star Team lineups have been announced. Uh, this year's the fourth clash between the Maori and Indigenous All-Stars. Obviously, prior to that, um, this All-Star kind of, uh, what do you call it, like an All-Star game kind of thing has been around since 2010. But over the last 
three years, it's been one win apiece and last year a 10-all draw. Josh Adokar has been selected as captain of the Indigenous team with James Fisher-Harris reportedly getting the nod with uh, Joseph Tarpany as the co-captain. Now, I'm just going to run through the teams quickly now for the Indigenous All-Stars. Uh, fullback Will Kennedy, then on the wings, Hamiso Tabuathado and Ado Carr, as I said, the captain. Ramian and Brent Naden in the centres, Nico Hines and Braden Trindle in the halves, then Fafida and Ryan James as the props, Ruben Cotter at hooker. And then Fafida, uh, Fui Mayono and Josh Curran in the back row, um, and then Kelly Smith. Uh, Tanua Brown and Kerr off the bench for that side. And for the Maori All-Stars, you got Rapana at fullback, Harper and Patrick Herbert uh, on the wings, Walker, that's Dylan Walker, and Remus Smith in the centres, Harris Tavita and Cody Nicarima in the halves, Joseph Tarpany and James Fisher-Harris, the props with Aaron Clark, Gold Coast Titans, let's go, at hooker, uh, Kenny Bromwich, Nikora and Jazz Tavega, and the second row, and then Masters, Hunt, TC Rabadi, and Kevin Proctor off the bench. So, Blaze, obviously a lot of um, uh, star players, as you would expect for an all-star game. Um, who do you think has the better team on paper? Yeah, for me on paper, I'd probably give it to the to the Indigenous side. You know, some of their bigger names, Josh Adokar. It's going to be really exciting to see Andrew Fafida return to NRL. And I think that's probably a bit of a change. The past few years, the, the Maori side have probably had the, the strongest side. But, yeah, I think that, for me, the Indigenous side will, will definitely be the favourites. Yeah, I think if you if the Maori All-Stars were able to play a lot more of their stars, you know, your Sean Johnsons, your, uh, your Manus and stuff like that, I think that makes them even more uh, dangerous. And I think they would probably get over the Indigenous All-Stars, but I have to agree with you. I think the Indigenous All-Stars have a great team. I mean, you know, they're going to have some problems. You you said Andrew Fafita, absolute gun. Um, you've got Josh Curran, who's kind of an underrated lock um, from the Warriors, and then my big man, Dave Fafita. Can't wait to see him rip and tear in this game and hopefully get through it injury-free. Please need a big season for him from the Gold Coast Titans. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think the Indigenous All-Stars looking just slightly stronger. Um, but as I mentioned, um, if the Maori All-Stars were able to play with all of their gun players, it would be a different story. And one of those gun players that has been withheld from it is Joseph Manu. Roosters not letting him play. Now, there's been a statement released from the Maori Rugby League chairman, um, and he said about Joseph Manu. He was very keen being a proud Maori lad, but the Roosters said no, which is disappointing. The club seems to think that they are bigger than the game, and that is a shame. Now, what do you make of that? Do you think Joseph Manu should be allowed to play in this game if that's what he wants to do and the club shouldn't interfere? Or do you think the Roosters have a right to kind of uh, withhold him from uh, this kind of celebrity trial kind of game? Yeah, I think this is always going to be the debate with these sort of games. Obviously, with the timing and, you know, we're only a short way away from the season. I think it's just ticked under one month till the season gets underway. So, 
I think for me, if the player wants to play, he's probably should be allowed to play. But having said that, you're not in the situation, you know, maybe he's had a little bit of a bit of an injury. You know, if he's got a few niggles, then obviously the club would be very clean, keen to uh, hold on to him and, and not risk him in this game. But for me, you know, if the, if the player's ready to go and wants to play, um, you know, it's a real positive thing for them. I think one, obviously representing their culture and family, but also just getting some you know, some rugby under the belt. And, you know, as I said earlier, it's really good to, you know, see some live footy. And, and I think these sort of games can provide a nice little boost, you know, as you're coming out of a tough pre-season into your sort of trial games and, and playing some, you know, some actual rugby in, in a game that's, you know, holds a lot of importance can be a real boost that you need going into the season in those first few rounds. Oh, I couldn't agree more, but you, you said you know, whether Joseph Manu had an injury. He's obviously uh, missed the finals from last year after that Latrell Mitchell um, high shot that ended up breaking his jaw. So maybe the Roosters are a little bit, you know, touch and go with that injury at the moment and they, they don't want to risk it. But to me, I think it's a great way to, to see how the jaw's going, how mentally he's playing. You know, the jaw might be fine, but, you know, he may be a little bit timid to get into to plays. And I think playing him in a game like this is a perfect opportunity instead of saving him for round one and you see straight away like, oh, this isn't the Joseph Manu that I know. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they hold him back from playing any of the Roosters trial games. So uh, I, I'm with the the Mary Rugby League chairman. I think it's a disappointing look. I think if a player wants to play, they should be able to play. Um, you know, pending uh, whether it's a suspension or anything like that. Um, but that's not the case for Manu. But for suspensions, and we are going to talk about this, Latrell Mitchell, not allowed to play for the Indigenous All-Stars. What do you think this does to, like, the excitement of uh, a, a game like this? Yeah, it obviously takes it down a little bit. I think, you know, arguably Latrell's the biggest name in the game at the moment. And definitely in that Indigenous side, he he's the name I think you're always looking for in the team sheet. Um, to me, you know, obviously he's been suspended. I think the thing that's crazy with this is that it's not counting as one of the games towards the suspension. So yeah. to me, if that's the case, well, then he's allowed play. If And if he's not allowed play, well, then it counts to one of the the games in his suspension. So to me, it, it seems like a bit of an illogical move from the NRL and, and he could be a guy that, you know, as you say, brings a lot of eyes to this game and adds to the hype and, you know, importance and also quality of the game. No, I agree so much. No, I'm, I'm, I've been pretty uh, critical of Latrell Mitchell uh, through our podcast. You know, obviously he's one of the best players in the league. There's no denying that. Um, I question his intent sometimes to some plays. Um, but I feel bad for him in this case. You know, he's a proud Indigenous man. I respect the hell out of that. Um, and, you know, to see him held back from a game for really no apparent reason, you're 100% right. If he's not going to be allowed to play, that's got to be one of the suspended games. If you're not going to count it, he has to play. It just seems like a way of punishing Latrell Mitchell for no reason. Um, which is disappointing. I think it'll make him that much more dangerous this year um, if he can, you know, control that anger and aggression and channel it in a, in a competitive way. Um, but, yeah, but final question on this topic, what do you think of this All-Star game? Um, do you think it is the right thing to put, you know, mid-February 
or do you think it should be a mid-season thing, kind of like an origin thing? Because obviously those Maori players don't have the chance, um, a lot of them, to play for uh, for an origin team. Do you think it should be on like one of those weekday, weekend kind of things, a buy round? Yeah, for one, I think it's a, it's a really good concept. I think it's brought a lot more importance to this game. Obviously, you said it's been going for about 10 years now, but only in the last four years has they brought in the, the Maori versus Indigenous, I guess, sides before it was just the All-Star side. And it was a little bit more of an exhibition game, whereas now it's got a bit more importance behind it. So I think it's it's really is something exciting. And it is probably, you know, really strong to kick off the year, but... You know, if it was mid-year, it would be pretty interesting to see what some of those guys, you know, chose to do. And, you know, as you say, interesting concept there. If it was to compete with the origin, it would be, you know, an interesting decision for a few of those guys. But I do think it's a really, really good concept. And I think it's going to be really good to see some some rugby back on the telly. 100%. Couldn't agree more. But let's move on to our third topic. Uh, Australia have gone a whole summer of cricket without losing a game. That's across both the men's and the women's. Or you can phrase that sentence a little bit differently and you can say England have gone a whole tour without winning a game. Now, you know, for Australia, it's been a great confidence booster, this whole series. For England, it has been rock bottom. Now, I'll list the results. Now, the men's ashes, 4-0, and then we had that draw. Then women's ashes, 4-0, 3, no results. Then men's uh, A team played against, I think, the British Lions, I think, the England Lions, and they won that trial match. Then the women's A team won 5-0 over England with one no result, and that totals 14 wins for Australia, five no results, and zero wins for England. What do you think caused this? Do you think it's Australia being too good or England just being very poor at the moment? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I think it's probably a bit of column A, a bit of column B. I think, you know, if you look at the men's series, it was probably a bit of, you know, England being quite poor. I thought they they didn't really compete much throughout the whole series. And, and Australia, although, you know, they had some really good performances, they weren't really tested at too many points along the way. Whereas if you look at the, you know, the women's series, I think it was probably a bit more of Australia playing quite well. You know, there was obviously that drawn test match with which England were very close to winning. And then, you know, it's very exciting, came down to the last ball. But, you know, when you look at some of those T20s early in the series, England were really in them and, and they were probably unlucky to have a few rainouts there. I think the second and third games were rained out where they were in, you know, some decent positions. So I think, you know, in terms of the women's stuff, it's it's really impressive for Australia and, and you know, to see some some new names and some younger faces step up is really a positive for them. Um, for the men's side of things, I think Australia still has a few, few question marks which will be tested out when we go to Asia. But, yeah, as you say, a really, you know, positive summer on the whole. Yeah, I can see that. I do think, yeah, uh, I do question... Uh, England's competitiveness in that men's Ashes series. I mean, you know, they had some uh, strong partnerships and then it would just, you know, one wicket would fall and that'd be it. You know, you'd see, I think it might have been Adelaide or uh, Melbourne where David Milan and Joe Root kind of put together, you know, a 100-plus run partnership. They both, you know, get up into the 80s 
and then one of them would get out and then the next one would get out and then that would just be it for the innings. You know, no one could really hold their bat after that. Um, so I'm definitely in the camp of England being very poor um, and especially with that topic we spoke about before with Justin Langer resigning, um, you know, Australia can't be too good. They've obviously got some some problems behind closed doors um, and I'm sure if England had really tested them, they might have been able to crack the Aussie team. So it's going to be good when Australia go to Pakistan and, and see, um, you know, really see how good they are. Um, but following... Uh, England's very poor tour, which we've decided is what it was. Um, the England's men's team is about to embark on a tour to play the West Indies, where the England Cricket Board has culled half the team and fired coach Chris Silverwood and the assistant coach Graham Thorpe. Now, a list of some of the players that played in the Ashes here um, that will not be on the tour. Um, Rory Burns, Hamid, Joss Butler, which doesn't come as a surprise. Sam Billings, Dawid Milan, and their two star bowlers, Stuart Broad and James Anderson, both left out. It's a, an impressive list of names. You know, yeah, they struggled here, but I know most of them have had decent test careers or are getting off to a decent start. And, and the two are down under here really um, has, you know, put them a step back. What do you think? Do you think it's a little bit too over the top cutting that many players? Like, where's the depth in the in uh, England cricket? Yeah, it's probably a little bit over the top. I think particularly, you know, Stuart Broad had a really impressive series when he did play. He was pretty limited in the games he played, but when he did, he, he still troubled the Aussie batsmen quite a lot. So he's probably the one that would be quite surprising. I think Rory Burns maybe as well, obviously was pretty poor in this series, but on the whole for the year, he was England's second best batsman uh, by quite a way. Obviously, he was quite far behind Joe Root, but he was still their second highest run scorer. So it will be interesting. But I guess from, you know, the ECB's point of view, they're just looking to completely reset and, you know, maybe just completely build for the future and, and you know, put this tour and, and this whole calendar year that was 2021 uh, behind them. I think James Anderson will probably return when they go back to England and, and, you know, maybe he'll get the chance to have a bit of a send-off there, a bit of a, you know, farewell tour because he's obviously still very good in those conditions. But, yeah, obviously they're looking to just turn the page and start again. I, I think um, some of it's justified. I think the dropping of uh, Burns, Hamid, Butler, uh, those three in particular make sense to me. Getting rid of Chris Silverwood, uh, Graham thought there's obviously um, a lack of leadership. You know, we saw that Joe Root couldn't really control um, his bowlers in one of the test matches, and he said it um, after a day's play, which was pretty shocking to many. And I think we spoke about it here. Um, and then, you know, that's why you get rid of the coaches as well, because that's also up to them as much as. On the field, it's up to Joe Root to kind of um, dictate who gets the ball and, and what the plan is. It also comes down to the coaches and the staff to implement those game plans and then put that onto Joe Root to then put onto the team. Um, so they definitely, in my opinion, in this situation, deserve to, uh, you know, move aside. Um, but for Broad, I couldn't agree more. I think Broad, one of the best bowlers of all time, 
Um, you know, he just has a crazy knack for taking wickets even when, you know, he may not be that bowler that swings the ball that much or bowls at 150. He just bowls in the right areas. He's consistent. He's tough to put away. And, you know, there's a reason why he's up there in the wicket-taking column. Uh, Jimmy Anderson, I think, would be a rest reason. Um, Billings, I thought, was really good in Hobart. Like, yeah, he struggled with the bat, but I thought his leadership was great. He was constantly talking behind the stumps. Um, and for someone making their test debut, you know, you couldn't ask for much more. And Darwin Milan's one of their best batsmen in all forms. So I'm a bit shocked about that. So, yes, yeah, some reaction is justified um, by the England cricket board. Maybe, like you said before, a bit of column A, column B. Um, but uh, I think overall pretty justified response from the cricket board um, just with some little head scratches about the the leaving out of some big names from the tour. All right, we'll move on to the final topic now. This is just a quick one. Obviously, the NBA trade deadline is approaching, ending on Thursday. Uh, This morning saw some really nice trades being made between some franchises that at the moment are struggling to get their season going. Now, the biggest trade of the lot was CJ McCollum uh, being traded from the Trailblazers along with uh, Larry Nance Jr. and Tony Snell to the New Orleans Pelicans for Josh Hart, one of the most energetic players in the league, Alexander Walker, Thomas Sadaransky, a good backup point guard, and some draft picks. Now, uh, with this trade, it breaks, I think, almost a, getting towards a, a eight-year, decade-long um, partnership between CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. I know they'll uh, both be pretty sad to depart. I'm obviously good mates, um, but they just haven't got it going this year. Damian Lillard's been out with injuries. CJ McCollum had his injuries earlier in the season. He's only recently back. Um, so the Trailblazers obviously trying to free up some space to get a new player to partner with um, Damian Lillard. Um, but I think the players they got in return are just to, you know, fill out the roster and, and probably reload for a big offseason of trades. Um, another one which... It's just absolutely shocking. The Kings have traded their up-and-coming star, Tyrese Halliburton, to the Pacers along with Buddy Heald and Tristan Thompson. In return, they get a one-time All-Star in DeMontis Sabonis, uh, Jeremy Lamb and Justin Holiday. Bit of perimeter shooting. DeMontis Sabonis is a good big man um, for the Kings to get. He's better than Tristan Thompson. But again... Trading Buddy Hield, one of the best three-point shooters, and Tyrese Halliburton, I think uh, it makes uh, the paces a little bit stronger. Um, and the Kings, I think they stay exactly where they were, maybe even worse, because they've just traded away some really valuable assets for basically one star and, and a bit of a package there. And finally... Um, which is a little bit shocking. James Harden has been withheld from playing for the Nets uh, for today's game, uh, which has ramped up the rumour that the Nets are going to trade him for Ben Simmons. Now, for those of you who may not follow the NBA, um, one of the reasons why this rumour may be ramped up and why he's being sat out is because if James Harden plays in this game and injures himself, that may cause, if this is what's happening, a bit of backroom chat of uh, Philadelphia pulling out of trading for James Harden because they're already sick of having Ben Simmons out. If they get a player, they want that player to be available as soon as possible. So the Nets holding James Harden out, maybe it is just an injury 
because um, there has been a little bit of back and forth between Harden saying he wants to say he wants to win. Nets are on a six-game losing streak, so he's obviously not getting the winning there. Um, so this is going to be very interesting. It's going to be something you have to stay to, up to date with us on Twitter. I'll definitely be uh, tweeting about it. But, Blaze, that is us done for this week of the Practical Podcast. It's been you know, great going over what we went over today. If you'd like to stay up to date on all things NRL, AFL, rugby union, cricket, and NBA basketball, go and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at T underscore practice drill. Blaze, what are you looking forward to in the next week of sport? I think I know your answer, but go ahead. For me, it's got to be uh, round two of the Six Nations. Round one was pretty interesting. Scotland, you know, with a huge upset over England. So we'll be looking forward to round two there. And, and then we're counting down the days to the Super Rugby opener. So there's some different trial games going on there over the weekend before they kick off on the 18th of Feb. Yeah, a lot of our sports coming back, as you said last week. Union, League, AFL, all just around the corner. Anyway, guys, enjoy your sport for the rest of the week. And we'll see you next week.